0: And welcome back to another episode of Context for Kids and actually an entire new year where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing or if you've missed anything, you can find all of the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com where I have transcript for readers or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Parents, all scripture this week comes from the Christian Standard Bible. Now, we're going to do Genesis 12.10 today. There was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. Just a little thing there. If they say famine in the land twice in the same sentence, you know it's bad. So if you remember from before my break... Abram, Sarai, and Lot, and all their people and critters had moved to the land of Canaan. God told Abram that he would do amazing things for him, that Abram would become a great nation and have a great name, and he would bless Abram and totally be on his side. Wow, I mean, those are incredible promises. And... When he got to the land, God gave him a second promise that Abram's children would inherit the land. The worst thing that could possibly happen to people in the ancient world was going to happen, and that terrible thing is called famine, and this week we're going to talk about what that means and why their solution was to pick up and go to another country. In the ancient world, they didn't have food processing plants or trucks to drive the food far away from where they made it, and so they depended on five things to keep them alive. The first thing they needed was good soil for growing things. If the soil was bad, then they would be in real trouble because the plants that we eat are much harder to grow than weeds, which, you know, will grow pretty much anywhere. Veggies don't grow in the wild. Vegetables have to get grown on purpose. Weeds don't need much water, but the veggies we need to survive need a whole lot of water. So the second thing they needed was either to be close to a river or get a lot of rain. Rivers were usually quite far away and so most people depended on rain to grow the food they needed. No rain means no food, and no food means famine. That's what a famine is. When there is something wrong with the land and the rain and crops won't grow. No veggies, no wheat and barley for bread, no fruit, no nothing. When there's a famine, it means that people starve. They die of hunger. And in the ancient world, they could really only eat what they grew themselves or traded other people to get. But even rain and soil aren't enough because they also need a good amount of sunlight, but not too much. Too much sun, if the air is dry and windy, will make the plants wither and die. And they also needed people to work in the fields and plant and harvest. It would be very difficult for one person to do it all alone, and that's why it was important to have kids. But there's one more thing that everyone knew was the most important thing of all. They needed help from the gods. And so every group in the ancient world had gods and goddesses who they thought were responsible for the sun and the rain and for crops and for food animals to have lots of babies. In the land of Canaan, for example, Abram would have known people who worshipped Baal Hadad. They thought Baal was responsible for sending rain, so he was really important. The Philistines worshipped a god named Dagon. He was responsible for making the wheat and barley grow. In Egypt, they counted on Amun-Ra to make sure that the sun came up in the morning and went down at night. They thought he was hauling the sun across the sky in his boat. The Babylonians worshipped the shepherd god who made sure all the critters had lots of babies. Every group in the ancient world had versions of these gods and goddesses because they really couldn't imagine that one god could handle everything. That's something that our god had a lot of trouble getting them to believe. It's why the ancient Israelites kept worshipping Baal and Asherah and many others because they were afraid of famine Or starvation, and they wanted to make sure that all their bases were covered. So they worshiped the Lord, but they also worshiped the gods and goddesses that the original people in the land said were responsible for a good harvest. And it made the Lord super angry and jealous, but you know what? He kept loving them anyway. But I will say one thing about Abram we never see him worshiping anyone but the Lord. Not ever. He's going to make a lot of mistakes, and sometimes he won't trust God like he should. But he never goes to any other God for help. So remember, we don't have to be perfect in order to follow God and to be loyal to him. But we can't let anyone else get in the way, and that's what happens when we worship other gods trying to get from them what only God can give us, right? Back to Abram and the famine. What do you do when there is no food growing and there are no supermarkets? When even your animals have nothing to eat? And when you have a lot of animals and a lot of people with you that need to eat? Remember that Abram and Sarai and Lot not only had a lot of critters, but they were traveling with a lot of slaves. Of course, slavery is awful and praise God it's illegal now. But in those days, Abram would have seen it as his absolute responsibility to make sure that they could all eat as members of his household. Yes, they were slaves, and so they didn't have a lot of rights, but this wasn't like slavery in America, okay? They were usually cared for and valuable to the entire group, and they all worked together to survive. They weren't treated as well as free people, but they were still part of the family who all depended on each other. They were Abram's responsibility, and so when the food stopped growing, for whatever reason, Abram had to think very carefully about what to do. Here's a really weird thing. The last time we were talking about Abram, he was traveling from the north of Canaan all the way to the south, and he built altars to God in the north, in Shechem, and then they traveled south to Bethel, where he built another altar and called on the Lord again. So Abram worshipped God at those places and honored him by building altars as landmarks. So far, so good. But then something odd happens and he travels to the very, very south of the land, to the Negev, which is called a desert. But I don't want you to think of endless sand dunes because it isn't that kind of desert. The Negev has sand, yeah, But it also has a lot of rocks and canyons, as well as craters and valleys with very steep rock walls. For some reason, the Bible doesn't say that Abram built an altar there. Not there or on the way back either, even though there were a ton of rocks he could have used. And in the very next verse, we find out there's a famine in the land. Now, I wonder why we don't hear about Abram calling on the Lord here, because this seems to be a really good time. When you're in a desert and there's absolutely no food. It seems like this would have been a good time for Abram to ask God what he was supposed to do. And maybe he did and it just doesn't mention it. But Abram leaves the land of Canaan that God promised to give to his descendants and head south to Egypt. Where he's never even been before. Was that okay with God? Is that what God wanted him to do? And why would Abram want to go there in the first place? The last question is an easy one to answer because Egypt was known as one of the bread baskets of the ancient world. Because of the Nile River, Egypt almost never suffered from famine and because of that, they were the most powerful nation in the world during the lifetime of Abram. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Canaanites... They were just nothing compared to Egypt. Have you ever seen pictures of the pyramids and the temples they built and the Sphinx? They could build things that we still have no idea how they did it. And they had really impressive medicine and doctors. They could even remove cataracts from people's eyes. They also knew how to preserve dead bodies for just about forever. And their art is still some of the most beautiful in the history of the world. Egypt was where people went when they had nowhere else to go and they wanted to survive. But they also had to be pretty desperate because Egypt's armies were the most powerful in the world. And they made slaves out of the people whom they conquered in war. And they got tribute from all these countries around them as, well, tribute's a bribe not to go out and kill them. It's, it's money and stuff. So they would have been swimming in gold and sugarcane and all kinds of jewels because Africa has a lot of jewels, beautiful cloth. Egypt was rich and they didn't get that way by being nice. Still, I suppose that if you think you're going to starve, you might figure you have nothing to lose by going there. And going back to Egypt for help will happen many times as we read through the Bible. Abram and Sarai aren't the only people in the Bible who would run to Egypt when things got tough. Jacob and his sons would go there to survive the seven-year famine, but that would be because God sent them there. However, they didn't go back to Canaan once the famine was over, and they ended up being enslaved and treated very badly. God had to rescue them. And once he got them free, he told them a lot of times not to go to Egypt for help ever again. But they did ask Egypt for help and they paid them for help whenever times got tough and they weren't willing to trust God. King Solomon, he really messed up and married the daughter of the pharaoh of Egypt. And that was a terrible thing to do because he ended up marrying a lot of other foreign women too, and he built them temples for the gods that they worshipped because they didn't want to worship our God. Can you believe it? We have to be really careful whom we go to for help, and we have to make sure that we always talk to God when we're in trouble and to trust him. Now, maybe God would have told them to go down to Egypt anyway. It says that there wasn't just a famine, but a severe famine. But when God sends us into a situation, he prepares the way for us. And things tend to go a whole lot better. Not always, but usually. When we go somewhere without talking to him about it, then we tend to get into trouble. Like Abram. He's about to get into a whole lot of trouble. But remember, Abram doesn't totally trust God yet, and he doesn't totally believe all these promises either. God has promised Abram that he would become a great nation, have a great name, that he would bless him and totally be on his side, and then, as if all that wasn't enough, he promised Abram a child. For God to keep those promises, he obviously has to keep Abram alive. If Abram dies, that's the end of that, and God will look really bad in the eyes of not only Abram's household of Sarai, Lot, and all the people with them, but also everyone back home in Haran. God will look like the kind of God who can't protect anyone and who is powerless and breaks his promises. God's reputation would be totally destroyed, and everyone would be laughing at Abram and the crazy God he thought he was hearing from. People already, I guarantee you, thought he was bonkers to leave his family and their land behind in Haran and to go someplace he had never been before where there was no one to protect him. People didn't just do that in the ancient world. And they also didn't go off worshiping any gods that their families hadn't been worshiping for, like, forever. And we know from Joshua that Abram's father was an idol worshiper. His family, you know, they probably tried to do everything to talk him out of it and figured that he'd lost his mind and was maybe even dead already. But even though Abram trusted God enough to go, he still had a long way to go before he trusted God about everything. Egypt was a scary place, and he knew it. Far worse than the land of Canaan. And so Abram makes a terrible mistake in the next verse. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please say that you're my sister so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. Oh no, this is this is really bad. Abram doesn't just not trust God to protect him, and I, I think that's because Abram didn't ask God before deciding to bail on living in Canaan. And he went to Egypt. But, you know, he's actually willing to put his wife in danger because he is so freaked out. And we'll have to look at this at a balanced way. Yes, Abram is asking Sarai to tell a lie that could get her into huge trouble. But we also have to remember that they've been married for a long time, and Abram hasn't gotten rid of her or divorced her or taken another wife, which was definitely allowed in those days. Even though she couldn't have babies, which they needed. So I don't want you thinking he is totally awful, but he's clearly worried about what will happen to him in Egypt, and if anything happens to him, he knows the Egyptians will just take everyone and everything he has. In Abram's world, where he was a patriarch, the head man who is responsible for everything and everyone, he knows that everyone else's life depends on him. Everyone would see him as the most important person in the tribe, and would see his life as more important than anyone else's, and Abram would probably see things that way as well. That's just how everyone thought in those days, and it's hard not to think the way everyone else does. But, like, what was the big threat? Wasn't Sarai, like, 65 years old? Why was Abram worried about other men wanting to marry her so badly that they'd be willing to kill him to get her? Well, you know, we have to remember that different cultures think that all sorts of different things are beautiful. Maybe her eyes were a strange color or her hair, or maybe her face was shaped in a way that made her look particularly exotic and interesting to other men. Or maybe she really did just look very young. We don't know. But Abram, one way or another, knew that the Egyptian men would be very interested in her and maybe even interested enough to kill everyone else to get to her. So he asked her to tell the Egyptians that she was his sister. You know, that way, worse comes to worse. If they did take her, then everyone else would live and the Egyptians would treat them really well. As her brother, if any man wanted to marry Sarai they would have to pay him a bride price to get her. This will seem really strange, but in those days, men bought their wives from her family, from her father or brother or uncle, depending on who was alive and responsible for her. How much they would pay for a wife depended on a lot of things. Everyone wanted a wife who was beautiful, from a good family, and who was an honorable woman. They didn't care about falling in love or anything like that. And they weren't going on any dates. And they might not even know her. But the two families would make a business deal. And the father of the groom would give money to the bride's family. And the family of the bride would give her money just in case her husband threw her out later, which happened way too often. And she would go to live with his family. She might never even see her own family again. And now she belonged to this new family. His mother would boss her around as much as she wanted and she would have to put up with it until she was the oldest woman in the house and she could be the boss. Her job was to obey her mother-in-law or whoever the oldest woman in the family was and her husband and have a lot of babies. That was her place in the family and until she had a baby boy, she was in danger of being tossed out into the street. Scary, huh? These people needed Jesus really bad. Goodness, right now Sarai needs Jesus really bad. And so when Abram said, It will go well for me because of you, what he's saying is that someone will pay him a lot of money and stuff so that they can have her as a wife. Not only will he live and not be murdered, but he'll get a ton of stuff in exchange for her. I suppose he thinks he's making the best of a bad situation, but it's getting harder to feel sorry for him, right? We always want to remember that this was an entirely different kind of world than we can possibly imagine. Men were important, and women weren't. Free men were important, and slave men weren't. You can just imagine how unimportant they would think a slave woman was. We'll see about all that when we talk about poor Hagar later. But we shouldn't be shocked because there's a reason that God is taking one man and one woman, and we'll be making a brand new people group who will begin to do things differently. Right now, Abram has been told he will be a dad, but God hasn't told anyone Sarai will be a mom. Maybe Abram thinks he'll be getting a new wife if Sarai gets taken by an Egyptian. There are just so many things we don't know, and what we do know about the people of those times can be really horrible. We can see why God needs to change things. But you know what? Before God can change the world, he has to change Abram first. It would be unfair of us to expect Abram to be entirely different than all the other men in the world. As it is, it was amazing that he left his family at all to go, who the heck knows where. That he doesn't entirely trust God right now isn't weird. It's actually normal. And we all start out like that. God has to teach us to trust him one day at a time and one year at a time. And it's a long process. We always think we trust God until he asks us to do something new and strange. And then we're like, um, what? No, I'm out of here. But God knows this about us because he created us and he sees what's in our minds and our hearts. So he knows what he has to do to get us to trust him. I remember long time ago when he told me I would have a hundred kids and I flipped out. This was in a dream. I told him that I could only do that if he completely changed me. And then once he decided he had changed me enough, he gave me kids to teach. And I was really relieved, okay? <laughs> I mean, maybe one day I will actually have a hundred kids to take care of in my own house, but I also know that he will change me so that I can handle that if that's what he wants. He never yelled at me for not being ready. He knew that already. We can't really surprise him like that. Abram's world is very violent. You could kill somebody and totally get away with it if there wasn't anyone who was going to try and stop you. Kings could kill anyone they wanted for any reason, any way they wanted. People thought that the gods had given the kings the authority or you might call it permission or power, to do whatever they wanted to the people they ruled over. Here in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the entire world, Abram's only hope was God, and God didn't need Abram to lie or to be willing to sell his wife to a stranger in order to keep his promises. God could keep Abram alive even if he was thrown into a pit of hungry wild animals Dressed in a beefsteak toga. It's normal for us to be scared and assume the worst possible things. And it's even more normal for us to believe that we're alone. But we're never alone as long as God's with us. And God specifically told Abram that he would bless anyone who blessed Abram and would curse anyone who cursed Abram. That was God's way of saying, Hey Abram, I got your back and you don't have to worry about all the details. Just do what I tell you to do and trust me. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty cool if God ever told me that. But as far as we know, God didn't say anything at all to Sarai, Abram's wife. What do you think all this has been like for her? With her husband hearing voices, or a voice, and following a strange god into a place where they'd never been before... And then this god told Abram that he was going to be a dad, but didn't say anything about her being a mom. And now it would really look like he was trying to get rid of her, right? Let's look at what Abram said from Sarai's point of view. Look, I know how drop-dead gorgeous you are. The Egyptians are not blind. And when they get a look at you, they're going to look at me as your husband. And they're going to say, well, we can't just take this guy's wife. We're going to have to kill him and make her a widow and then one of us can have her free and clear. And that's just what they do. They'll murder me where I stand and they will take you and you will end up the wife of the most powerful Egyptian who sees you. So, please, I'm going to tell them that you're my sister and when I do that they're going to be super nice to me and it's going to be good for me and the entire household. And look, they're going to take you one way or another so this way... You can take one for the team and everyone will be better off. Oh boy. We'll see what happens next week. Anyway, I love you. I'm praying for you. And just yikes. Trusting God is better for us and for all the people around us.